Let's open his word and learn more about him and from him. Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 21. If you're using that pew Bible right there in front of you, it's on page 1,180 in the pew Bible. You know, this never becomes easy. I uh, stand before you, and I was just standing right there as I walked up here, and, and I don't think I'm nervous. I just think that the Lord is helping me understand the weight that we have when we come before him, that he is here with us, and that his word is there to guide us and, and, and help us. And so it is my desire as we walk into a new year to make sure that we have more and more of the word and less and less of anything else in our sermons as we uh, move forward. And so before we even proceed any further, let's just pray together. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word and that through giving us your word, you have revealed yourself to us. And that as we spend time in it and as we spend time with you, Father, you have promised to make us different. You've promised, Father, to make us into the image of your son. May that be our desire. And Father, as we open up your scripture today and as I lead us through this message, Father, we pray that no words are said that aren't yours. Lord, I pray that you would uh, protect me from saying anything that Jeff thinks needs to be said. And may I, Father, just stay in alignment with what you are leading through your word and through your spirit. Father, may we desire what you have for us in these moments. We pray all of this in the great name of Jesus. Amen. I mentioned to you the, uh, the words in the song that you have kept every promise. And I mentioned to you that our scripture would talk a little bit about that. It's an interesting thing. A promise, the word promise defined is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing. A promise could also mean to give good grounds for expecting a certain thing to happen. Now, we've each made promises in our lives, and we probably have each broken promises in our lives, and we've had other people break promises in our lives, and we even have to say many things to make sure that people know that when we make a promise, we really mean it, like cross my heart and hope to die, right? You know, we talk about all these things because we have to reinforce the promises that we make so people will believe them because in this day and time that we live in, man's word seems to be, not be as valuable as it used to be because that word is probably not as godly as it used to be. But did you notice that a promise contains two parts, the assurance and the acceptance? And if we get to a point where somebody makes you a promise, that's their assurance, but if you don't believe they'll do it, then you've not taken the acceptance. And while there might be a promise made, there's not one been accepted. And that's the challenge that we have to face. Synonyms for the word promise would be pledge, vow, guarantee, commit, or covenant. Now, I know that there are many other synonyms for 
the word promise, but I stopped right there because the word covenant stood out to me. Biblically speaking, a covenant, God establishes the basis of a relationship that he desires to have with man. Conditions for that relationship and promises of that relationship and judgments that come from not being in covenant relationship with God. Covenants are how God has unfolded his redemptive plan all throughout history and all throughout Scripture. So I just want to sit here for just a second because I believe that covenants happen all throughout the Bible, but there are five main covenants that we have talked about or that stand out in there. One would be the, I can't say this word right, but it's the Noah covenant. It's Noahic covenant And that one you can find in Genesis chapter 9. And basically, God renews and resets the blessings of creation because the flood has just occurred. Reaffirms God's image in humanity and the work of dominion. He gives man the dominion to do. In Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15, we have the Abrahamic covenant. God promises Abraham a land, descendants, blessing. The blessing promised Abraham, Scripture says, will extend through him to all people. This covenant helps us understand words like election, the people of God, inheritance, and the promised land. The Mosaic covenant, Exodus 19 and Exodus 24, speak pretty heavily about that. God established this covenant with the children of Israel after he led them out of their time of slavery. God supplies the law that is to shape and govern the people to distinguish the people and they, as a special kingdom of priests. This covenant was conditional and defined blessings and curse based upon obedience and disobedience. This helps us understand the cycle of blessing and curse, the exiles that happened to the people, and the challenge that Jesus encountered with the Pharisees and the law and all the New Testament teaching on law versus grace. The fourth covenant, major covenant in God's word, is the Davidic covenant. You can hear about this and read about it in many places, but 2 Samuel chapter 7. In this covenant, God promises that a descendant of David will reign on God's throne over the people forever. This covenant becomes the basis for hope of a Messiah and makes sense of the gospel's concern, as we've talked about, of showing Jesus as the rightful king of the Jews. And then the fifth covenant that's a major proponent of God's revealing himself to the people would be the new covenant. You can read about this in the Old Testament and like Jeremiah 31, or you can read about it in the New Testament in like Luke 22, for example. This covenant promises a coming day when God would make a new covenant unlike the one Israel had broken. This coming day would bring forgiveness of sin internal renewal of the heart, and intimate knowledge of God. On the last night of his life, Jesus takes the cup and declares that his death would be the inauguration of this new covenant. And as I've said, these five major covenants provide the framework and the context for everything else that God's word says. They're fundamental to us understanding God's word rightly. They're also the basis of our redemption, our joy, praise, peace, and the witness. Christmas, as we've talked a lot about that, is God raising the curtain on the final promises of God for that new covenant beginning to be unfolded. And these covenants are the basis of our faith, 
of our hope and our love. So based upon that background of God's promises through his covenants, let's stand and read together from Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 21 to 32 as we bring to a close today much of the scriptures that we tend to set aside as Christmas scriptures. But let's read those together, picking up in verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, that would be Simeon, took him, Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Thank you. Keep your scripture open. You may be seated. I'd like to start with the phrase that stuck out to me the most, and it's in verse 29 when Simeon speaks, and he says this phrase in verse 29, according to your word. Joseph and Mary, we are told, had taken Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord. Now, they did this on about the 40th day of Jesus' life. After his circumcision, the scripture tells us, was eight days, and after the time of Mary's purification according to the law. Verses 23 and 24 tell us that they did all of this in order to fulfill the law. This would be the Mosaic law. You know, Scripture came so that Jesus, I mean, Jesus came so that all Scripture would be fulfilled. All the law would be met through Jesus. Now, it's an interesting thing. Joseph and Mary says that they had to take Jesus, let's call him 40 days old, on another road trip. They had already made the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and now they're having to go from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. It's a shorter trip, but there's one more of them on this trip, and they've had to make this trip to Jerusalem in order to do what the law called them to do. Verse 25 said that there was a man in Jerusalem. Verse 25 says that his name was Simeon. Now, he's, we're given some good descriptions of Simeon. He was just, he was devout. He was waiting on the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was working in this man, and this man had received the promise of God that he would not die before the Messiah, before he would see the Messiah. Simeon was waiting for God to fulfill his promise. Verse 27 says that Simeon walking into the temple 
at a time appointed by God. It didn't say at a time appointed by God, but we have to recognize that Joseph and Mary on the 40th day bringing the baby into the temple, they're walking into the temple to do the things that the law requires them to do. Simeon, who's waiting for God to reveal and keep his promise of the Messiah, comes into the temple. And it says that they come to each other at the exact time because he was led by the Spirit. Now, this is a great reminder. We're told that Simeon is led by the Holy Spirit. Had he not allowed the Holy Spirit to be his lead, to be his guide, then he may not have come at this time, and he could have missed what God had intended for him. You're going, Jeff, why is that an interesting point? Well, God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you, not us. He does have a plan for us. It's made up of a bunch of individual plans he's got for you. But if we don't allow the Holy Spirit of God to be what guides us and leads us every day, if we don't allow the Word of God, see, you don't get to be devout and just if you're Simeon by just hanging around the temple. This tells me that he had probably read and studied and looked and read and studied God's Word and all of the promises God had made. But if we don't yield to God on a daily basis, if we don't let that Holy Spirit have His way in our lives, we could miss, you could miss what God has planned for you in that moment. I wonder what God has planned for you in 2023. And you're going, well, I wonder that as well. If you will allow the Holy Spirit of God to lead you every single day, you'll find out what God has for you. We've got to trust and allow the Holy Spirit to lead. So when this moment happens, verse 28 says that Simeon recognizes Jesus as the Messiah and goes over to hold him. Now, I don't know. I was imagining for just a second. I wonder, did he just walk right over and Mary said, here? Or did he talk to them a minute? But either way, Simeon is holding Jesus. And as this event is unfolding, that's where we get this phrase that struck out to me in verse 29, according to your word. Now, I just mentioned that because Simeon is described as devout and just, he likely had an ongoing relationship with God on a daily basis up to this point. And that relationship where he had likely understood the covenants that God made and the promises that God made prior to this moment, and he had interacted with God in such a personal way that God had revealed to him, Simeon, the time is coming, it's close, and you will not die until you see the Christ child. Simeon had trusted God. Simeon had waited on God. How are you at waiting? See, if somebody says, I need you to wait for two days, we'll struggle with that, but we can wait for two days. Somebody says, I need you to wait for an hour. 
We can wait for an hour because we know how long it's going to be. But Simeon has been promised by God that something was going to happen, but he's not been given a timetable. And so Simeon has to, every single day, put himself in a position to continue trusting God in the absence of the answer. How would you be on waiting? Simeon trusted God. Simeon knew that the new covenant was going to be revealed through Jesus. I did a little bit of research. Do you know that Jesus fulfilled a lot of promises when he came? Now, on this document right here, there are 351 specific Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled because of Jesus. 351. It tells us where they were in the Old Testament, what the description was, and where it's fulfilled in later in Scripture in the New Testament. 351 promises that God had made prior to the birth of Jesus or about Jesus that were kept because of Jesus. That's a pretty big deal. Then I started doing some more research, and you know, promises are, are big in the Bible, and I did this other research, and this one man took a year and a half of his life, and he crept through the Bible, making a note of every promise that he could find. Now, it may not be exact, but by this man's research, 8,810 different promises are made in God's Word, of which 7,487 of them were promises that God made to his best creation, and that would be man. Nearly 7,500 promises. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56 says that not one word of God's promises have failed. 2 Corinthians, I've got it written down right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says this, For all the promises of God in him, that would be Jesus, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. All of the promises that God has made were fulfilled or are, will continue to be fulfilled in Jesus. And Simeon's waiting on God to do what he said. When Simeon says, according to your word, what Simeon is saying is, God, you have done everything you have said you would do. Verse 30 said, my eyes have seen your Christ. God is revealing his plan. And your plan, verse 31 says, is for all people. Verse 32 says that it's a revelation to the Gentiles. And goes on to say that it's a revelation to Israel. That's everybody, church. And Simeon sees in Jesus, which is what God wants us to see in Jesus, God keeping every promise, keeping his word, not just to Simeon, but to each one of us as we read. I don't know about you, but when we got married, Angela and I received uh, uh, this gift. that must have been popular in that day. I a promise book. 
They'd make these little thin books. We got four or five of them at home, and all they were, you know, the promises of God that you would give to this young couple as they were starting off in marriage. And some of you may have received some too. And, you know, some of them would, would compartmentalize things for you a little bit. You know, God's promises when you're mad. God's promises when you're arguing. God's prom. I don't know why they gave this to newlyweds, right? God's promises are there for us for every circumstance and situation in our life. And so Simeon recognizes in Jesus what we need to recognize in Jesus is that God is keeping all of his promises that he's ever made. And he goes on to say in verse 29, now, Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace. That tells me that Simeon had been on God time that his life was going to last as long as God wanted it to be. And Simeon said, God, now that you've kept every promise you have ever made, I'm good. I'm at peace. Thank you, God, for keeping all your promises. Church, every day, we must seek God, listen for God, look for God, and then do what he says. Now, in Scripture, if you're still open to Luke chapter 2, we run into someone else in this moment. Her name is Anna. Let me read verses 36 through 38, still in Luke chapter 2. Now, there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Anna is a prophetess. She has been given, Scripture defines, messages from God for the people. And it says that she's been serving God in the temple. Scripture says she's day and night, doesn't leave for 84 years. As I read that, she was married for seven years, and then she's been a widow for 84 years, and she served God in that. And she is coming in that instant, and that instant is when Mary and Joseph are coming in, and Simeon is holding the baby, and he is giving this praise that we've read in verses 29 through 32. And she hears this, and she recognizes what's going on. And because she's been seeking God, she recognizes what God is doing as well. And it says that in verse 38, she does two things. She gave thanks to the Lord because she saw him in Jesus keeping his promises. So not all she did, though. In verse 38, it says that she also spoke of him. Two people who looked for redemption. She spoke to them about the promises of God that have been fulfilled through Jesus. You know, I think people are looking for redemption. They're looking to find it in many different ways, places. And any of them that are not coming through Jesus are the wrong ways that will lead them to the wrong places. And we, like Anna, have been 
given all of these promises that we see God fulfilling in Jesus, and we too can do exactly what she did, thank God for the gift of his son. Just think for a second, where would you be if it weren't for Jesus? We don't think about that much. I'd be lost. I'd be separated from God. I'd have no hope, no peace, no joy, no future. And I don't believe that my life would look anything like it currently looks like now either. So all these other things that we take for granted, I think, would be different as well. So I think we, like Anna, can thank God for keeping his promises through Jesus. And as equally important as thanking God for keeping his promises in Jesus, we can do what she did as well. And that's to share them with other people. Now, there are all kinds of ways I could challenge you. We can motivate our church has, our association has, our convention has. Who's your one? We can talk about all of these things. But church, we need to understand that Simeon and Anna are thanking God and praising God for keeping his promises in Jesus. We need to understand that it's for everybody, not just us. Aren't you glad you know Jesus? I pray that you are glad and thankful that you know Jesus. More importantly, I pray that you are glad and thankful and praising God that he knows you. But that's just the beginning. Remember, Anna thanked God, shared God. Church, if we're going to see God honored in 2023, it's going to be because we, one, thank him. Two, share him. You know people right now that need to know Jesus. And you're going, well, I don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything except what God has already told you to say is, God kept his promises. He's changed my life. Can I show you how he can change yours? God takes care of the rest of that. He's already led Simeon. He's already led Anna in able be able to do this. God. They recognized God's faithfulness, and then they shared God's faithfulness. I'm going to ask you to turn one more place, because I don't want to leave all of the Christmas scriptures undone. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. Actually, make that Matthew chapter 2. Now, I want to read this scripture because, and then I'll make, I would rather read more scripture and make fewer comments than to summarize scripture and make lots of comments. So let's let God's word lead us, and then we'll just highlight some things about it. But in Matthew chapter 2, allow me to read verses 1 through 11. It's a very familiar passage at Christmas. Did you recognize that everything we're talking about today happened after Christmas, right? Jesus was born. Now we're talking about Simeon. Now we're talking about Anna. I believe that this is the last Christmas scripture event to occur. 
that we associate with Christmas about the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Who is he? Well, now where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, there's more to this story, and you can read it, and we'll talk about it just a little bit, but it says, after Jesus was born, wise men from the, came from the east. Now, we know very little about this, but the word wise men refers to people who were scholars who studied the stars. God gave them a special sign, a miraculous star that announced the birth of Jesus. The star led them first to Jerusalem, notice that, right, and then to Bethlehem, where God's prophets told them he would be born. Matthew chapter 2, verse 3 says that their arrival was a big deal. It troubled the king, and it troubled the city, the announcement of Jesus. But we know these important things about the wise men. The wise men must have studied the scriptures and prophecies concerning the birth of the Messiah, and when they spotted a star in the heavens, they correlated this event to the birth of Christ. We know that they came a long way. Jesus is no longer an infant. He's likely to be closer to the age of two years old because when Herod can't find him, Herod determines based upon the time that the star appeared and he has all young baby boys, two years and under killed. So that puts you in the time frame that Jesus is no longer this tea tiny baby. They looked for him diligently. They came from a long way following a star. They looked and looked and then they came to worship the king of the Jews. That's Jesus. Note, when they came to Jerusalem, they came to the people, they came to the king and his people, and they said, where's Jesus, the king of the Jews? Where's he been born? As if they would know, of course, already. But they don't know anything about him. Now, Herod, he calls all of the smart people together, and he says, where's this baby to be born? And they go, it's in Bethlehem. Jesus is nearly two years old. The people who knew exactly where he was going to be born haven't done anything to go and check it out. So there are people who don't know that he's been born, and there are people that know, but they've not cared. If people ask you where Jesus is, can you tell them? 
That's an important question. Because see, if we're going to be Simeon and Anna and understand that God has kept all of his promises and we're going to thank him for saving us and then we're going to share the promises of God with other people, the very, you hope the question they ask is, how? How can I come to know Jesus? Where is he? These people, they knew. They just didn't bother to go. Jesus is the Savior of the world. John said so in John chapter 4, verse, verse 42. But the angels said so just a few verses before in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. that says, I bring you tid- good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Church, did you notice again in Scripture, all people. When Herod heard this, he was troubled. They knew exactly where Jesus was to be born. Now, I've stated this, make say it more clearly. There's three kinds of people. There are people who do not know anything about Jesus but want to destroy him because he threatens their self-seeking nature. There are people who know about Jesus that do nothing. They don't want Jesus to impact their lives. And then there are people who know about Jesus and allow that knowledge to change their lives to cause them to be thankful and to cause them to be people who share. Verse 9, the star reappears, and it's an interesting thing. God intentionally led these wise men to Jerusalem first, when we all know that Jesus was in Bethlehem. Why? I think that Jesus is a big deal, and God's looking to make it a big deal. Best way to make it a big deal is to let the people in charge, no. We know God has made us rulers, desires for us to be rulers with him. That's our glorified state that we're heading toward. We need to be acting like this. We know, and we just need to be ready to share with other people. They put the world on notice by coming to Jerusalem first. That's the, that's the epicenter of what the world was at that time. And then it went out other places. They gave three gifts. We'll just talk about those just briefly. Gold. Gold's associated with two things in the Bible, divinity and kingship. This gift of gold from the wise men symbolized the deity of Christ, that he is fully God. Frankincense. The most popular use for frankincense in the Bible was the burning of incense by the priests. Jesus was promised to be the high priest for us. Hebrews can tell you about that. He is our high priest. He makes intercession for our sins, and he is the eternal sacrifice for our sins. So frankincense, high priest. Myrrh, the gift of myrrh symbolized suffering and death that our Messiah would face. Jesus was given myrrh to drink while on the cross. Nicodemus brought myrrh to help prepare his body in John 19. So gold, frankincense, and myrrh remind us of Jesus, our king, gold, our intercessor, frankincense, and our redeemer, myrrh. Anna, Simeon, and the wise men all recognized Jesus, and they responded by yielding their lives to him. Christ gave us the greatest gift. 
He gave us the opportunity to be made right with God. He gave us the opportunity to be forgiven of our sins, to be pardoned from a wrathful and just God's judgment. And all we have to do is take the gift that Christ offers right now. Yes, if there's someone in this room right now that does not know Jesus as their Savior, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God have brought you to a point where you're going, I need to know more about Jesus. But I also pray that you'll take all of this and as we leave, because there are people all over our community, all in your families and in your workplace that need to know Jesus. And that's what we are called to do. Will you share this gift, this promise kept with the people in your lives? As we begin 2023, I pray we do so with a greater understanding of who Jesus is, with a greater desire to seek and serve him personally, and then to have an unyielding passion to help others come to know Jesus as their Savior. That, to me, is a good way for us to live our next year. Amen?